following is a complete recording of the Heidelberg Catechism. My name is R. Scott Clark. I'm president of the Heidelberg Reformation Association. The Heidelberg Catechism was published in 1563 as the Confession of the Reformed Church of the Palatinate. It was adopted by the Dutch Reformed Churches and has been used and beloved by millions of Christians ever since. This recording is brought to you by the Heidelberg Reformation Association. You can reach us at 1637 East Valley Parkway, number 391, Escondido, California, 92027. Find us on the web at heidelbergreformationassociation.org. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. If this recording helps you, please help us continue our work. Thanks for listening, and may the Lord bless your study of the Heidelberg Catechism. Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 1, Question and Answer 1. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who, with His precious blood, has fully satisfied for all my sins— and redeemed me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life, and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Lord's Day 1, Question 2. How many things are necessary for you to know that in this comfort you may live and die blessedly? Three things. The first, how great my sin and misery is. The second, how I am redeemed from all my sins and misery. The third, how I am to be thankful to God for such redemption. Lord's Day 2, Question 3. From where do you know your misery? Out of the law of God. Lord's Day 2, Question 4. What does the law of God require of us? Christ teaches us in some. Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Lord's Day 2, Question 5. Can you keep all this perfectly? No, for I am prone by nature to hate God and my neighbor. Lord's Day 3, Question 6. Did God create man thus wicked and perverse? No, but God created man good and after his own image, that is, in righteousness and true holiness, that he might rightly know God his Creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal blessedness, to praise and glorify him. Lord's Day 3, Question 7. Whence comes this depraved nature of man? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise, whereby our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. Lord's Day 3, Question 8. But are we so depraved that we are wholly incapable of any good and prone to all evil? Yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. Lord's Day 4, Question 9. Does not God then do injustice to man by requiring of him in his law that which he cannot perform? No, for God so made man that he could perform it. But man, through the instigation of the devil, by willful disobedience, deprived himself and all his posterity of those divine gifts. Lord's Day 4 Question 10. Will God suffer such disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished? By no means, but he is terribly displeased with our inborn as well as our actual sins and will punish them in just judgment in time and eternity. As he has declared, cursed is every one who continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Lord's Day 4. Question 11. But is not God also merciful? God is indeed merciful, but he is likewise just. 
His justice, therefore, requires that sin which is committed against the Most High Majesty of God be punished with extreme, that is, with everlasting punishment, both of body and soul. This is the second part of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 5, Question 12. Since then, by the righteous judgment of God, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment, how may we escape this punishment and be again received into favor? God wills that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full satisfaction to the same, either by ourselves or by another. Lord's Day 5, Question 13. Can we ourselves make this satisfaction? By no means. On the contrary, we daily increase our guilt. Lord's Day 5, Question 14. Can any mere creature make satisfaction for us? None. For first, God will not punish any other creature for the sin which man has committed. And further, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and redeem others from it. Lord's Day 5, Question 15. What kind of mediator and redeemer then must we seek? One who is a true and righteous man, and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also true God. Lord's Day 6, Question 16. Why must he be a true and righteous man? Because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should make satisfaction for sin. But one who is himself a sinner cannot satisfy for others. Lord's Day 6, Question 17. Why must he also be true God, that, by the power of his deity, he might bear in his humanity the burden of God's wrath, and so obtain for and restore to us righteousness and life? Lord's Day 6, Question 18. But who now is that mediator, who in one person is true God and also a true and righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is freely given to us, for complete redemption and righteousness. Lord's Day 6, Question 19. From where do you know this? From the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise and afterwards proclaimed by the holy patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law and finally fulfilled by his well-beloved Son. Lord's Day 7, Question 20. Are all men then saved by Christ as they have perished in Adam? No, only those who by true faith are engrafted into him and receive all his benefits. Lord's Day 7, Question 21. What is true faith? True faith is not only a certain knowledge, whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in his word, but also a hearty trust, which the Holy Spirit works in me by the gospel, that, not only to others, but to me also, forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. Lord's Day 7, Question 22. What then is necessary for a Christian to believe? All that is promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic, undoubted, Christian faith teach us in summary. Lord's Day 7, Question 23. What are these articles? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Lord's Day 8, Question 24. How are these articles divided? Into three parts. The first is of God the Father and our creation. The second, 
of God the Son and our redemption, the third of God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Lord's Day 8, Question 25. Since there is but one divine being, why do you speak of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because God has so revealed himself in his word that these three distinct persons are the one true eternal God. Lord's Day 9, Question 26. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth? that the Eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who of nothing made heaven and earth with all that is in them, who likewise upholds and governs the same by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ, his Son, my God and my Father, in whom I so trust as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and further, that whatever evil he sends upon me in this troubled life, he will turn to my good. For he is able to do it, being Almighty God, and willing also, being a faithful Father. Lord's Day 10, Question 27. What do you understand by the providence of God? The Almighty Everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Lord's Day 10, Question 28. What does it profit us to know that God created and by his providence upholds all things, that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and for what is future, have good confidence in our faithful God and Father, that no creature shall separate us from his love, since all creatures are so in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. Lord's Day 11. Question 29. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, Savior? Because he saves us from our sins, and because salvation is not to be sought or found in any other. Lord's Day 11. Question 30. Do those also believe in the only Savior Jesus, who seek their salvation and welfare from saints, themselves, or anyone else? No, although they make their boast of Him, yet in their deeds they deny the only Savior Jesus. For either Jesus is not a complete Savior, or they who by true faith receive this Savior must have in Him all that is necessary to their salvation. Lord's Day 12, Question 31. Why is he called Christ, that is, anointed? Because he is ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption and our only high priest, who, by the one sacrifice of his body, has redeemed us and ever lives to make intercession for us with the Father, and our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit and defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Lord's Day 12, Question 32. But why are you called a Christian? Because by faith I am a member of Christ, and thus a partaker of his anointing, in order that I also may confess his name, may present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and that with a free conscience I may fight against sin and the devil in this life, and hereafter in eternity reign with him over all creatures. Lord's Day 13, Question 33. Why is he called God's only begotten Son, since we also are the children of God? 
because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God, but we are children of God by adoption, through grace, for His sake. Lord's Day 13, Question 34. Why do you call Him our Lord? Because not with silver or gold, but with His precious blood, He has redeemed and purchased us, body and soul, from sin and from all the power of the devil, to be His own. Lord's Day 14, Question 35. What is the meaning of conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? That the eternal Son of God, who is and continues, true and eternal God, took upon himself the very nature of man, of the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, by the operation of the Holy Spirit, so that he might also be the true seed of David, like unto his brothers in all things, sin excepted. Lord's Day 14, Question 36. What benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? That He is our mediator, and with His innocence and perfect holiness, covers in the sight of God my sin, wherein I was conceived. Lord's Day 15, Question 37. What do you understand by the word suffered? That all the time he lived on the earth, but especially at the end of his life, he bore in his body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race, in order that by his suffering, as the only atoning sacrifice, he might redeem our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtain for us the grace of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Lord's Day 15, question 38. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge, that he, being innocent, might be condemned by the temporal judge, and thereby deliver us from the severe judgment of God to which we were exposed? Lord's Day 15, question 39. Is there anything more in his having been crucified than if he had suffered some other death? Yes, for thereby I am assured that he took upon himself the curse which lay upon me, because the death of the cross was accursed by God. Lord's Day 16, Question 40. Why was it necessary for Christ to suffer death? Because the justice and truth of God required that satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Lord's Day 16, Question 41. Why was he buried? To show thereby that he was really dead. Lord's Day 16, Question 42. Since then, Christ died for us, why must we also die? Our death is not a satisfaction for our sin, but only a dying to sin and an entering into eternal life. Lord's Day 16, Question 42. Since then, Christ died for us. Why must we also die? Our death is not a satisfaction for our sin, but only a dying to sin and an entering into eternal life. Lord's Day 17, Question 45. What benefit do we receive from the resurrection of Christ? First, by His resurrection He has overcome death, that He might make us partakers of the righteousness which He has obtained for us by His death. Second, by His power we are also now raised up to a new life. Third, the resurrection of Christ is to us a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. Lord's Day 17, Question 45. What benefit do we receive from the resurrection of Christ? First, by His resurrection He has overcome death, that He might make us partakers of the righteousness which He has obtained for us by His death. Second, by His power we are also 
now raised up to a new life. Third, the resurrection of Christ is to us a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. Lord's Day 17, question 46. How do you understand the words, He ascended into heaven, that Christ, in the sight of His disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven, and continues there in our behalf, until He shall come again to judge the living and the dead. Lord's Day 17, question 47. Is Christ then not with us even unto the end of the world, as he has promised? Christ is true man and true God. According to his humanity, he is now not on earth. But according to his deity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is at no time absent from us. Lord's Day 17, Question 48. Since his human nature is not present wherever his Godhead is, are not then these two natures in Christ separated from one another? Not at all. For, since the deity is incomprehensible and everywhere present, it must follow that the same is not limited with the human nature he assumed, and yet remains personally united to it. Lord's Day 18, question 49. What benefit do we receive from Christ's ascension into heaven? First, that he is our advocate in the presence of his Father in heaven. Second, that we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, as the head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, that he sends us his Spirit as an earnest, by whose power we seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God, and not things on earth. Lord's Day 18, Question 50. Why is it added, and sits at the right hand of God? because Christ ascended into heaven for this end, that he might there appear as the head of his church, by whom the Father governs all things. Lord's Day 19, Question 51. What does this glory of Christ, our head, profit us? First, that by his Holy Spirit he pours out heavenly gifts upon us, his members, then... By his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. Lord's Day 19. Question 52. What comfort is it to you that Christ shall come to judge the living and the dead? That, in all my sorrows and persecutions, I, with uplifted head, look for the very one who offered himself for me to the judgment of God and removed all curse from me, to come as judge from heaven, who shall cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but shall take me with all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. Lord's Day 20, Question 53. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, that he is co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. Second, that he is also given to me, by true faith, makes me a partaker of Christ and all his benefits, comforts me, and shall abide with me forever. Lord's Day 21, Question 54. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? That, out of the whole human race, from the beginning to the end of the world, the Son of God, by his Spirit and Word, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself to everlasting life a chosen communion in the unity of the true faith, and that I am and forever shall remain a living member of this communion. Lord's Day 21, Question 55. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, one and all, as members of the Lord Jesus Christ, are partakers with him in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that each one must feel himself bound 
to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the advantage and welfare of other members. Lord's Day 21. Question 56. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? That God, for the sake of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins nor the sinful nature with which I have to struggle all my life long, but graciously imputes to me the righteousness of Christ that I may never more come into condemnation. Lord's Day 22. Question 57. What comfort do you receive from the resurrection of the body that not only my soul after this life shall be immediately taken up to Christ, its head, but also that this my body, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like the glorious body of Christ. Lord's Day 22, question 58. What comfort do you receive from the article, Life Everlasting, that, inasmuch as I now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall, after this life, possess complete blessedness, such as eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man, therein to praise God forever. Lord's Day 23, question 59. What does it help you now that you believe all this, that I am right? Righteous in Christ before God, and an heir of eternal life. Lord's Day 23, question 60. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. That is, although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all the commandments of God, and have never kept any of them, and am still prone always to all evil, yet God, without any merit of mine, of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never committed nor had any sins, and had myself accomplished all the obedience which Christ has fulfilled for me, if only I accept such benefit with a believing heart. Lord's Day 23, Question 61. Why do you say that you are righteous by faith alone? Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, but because only the satisfaction righteousness and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God, and I can receive the same and make it my own in no other way than by faith alone. Lord's Day 24, question 62. But why can't our good works be the whole or part of our righteousness before God? Because the righteousness that can stand before the judgment seat of God must be perfect throughout and entirely conformable to the divine law. But even our our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. Lord's Day 24, question 63. Do our good works merit nothing, even though it is God's will to reward them in this life and in the life to come? The reward comes not of merit, but of grace. Lord's Day 24, question 64. But does not this doctrine make men careless and profane? No, for it is impossible that those who are implanted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. Lord's Day 25. Question 65. Since then we are made partakers of Christ and all his benefits by faith alone, from where does this faith come? The Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel and confirms it by the use of the Holy Sacraments. Lord's Day 25. Question 66. What are the sacraments. The sacraments are visible, holy signs and seals appointed by God for this end, that by their use he may more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel, namely that of free grace he grants us the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life for the sake of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Lord's Day 25 Question 67. Are both the Word and the sacraments designed to direct our faith to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, truly. 
For the Holy Spirit teaches in the gospel and assures us by the holy sacraments that our whole salvation stands in the one sacrifice of Christ made for us on the cross. Lord's Day 25, Question 68. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the New Testament? Two, holy baptism and the Holy Supper. Lord's Day 26, Question 69. How is it signified and sealed to you in holy baptism that you have part in the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross? Thus, that Christ instituted this outward washing with water and joined to it this promise that I am washed with his blood and spirit from the pollution of my soul, that is, from all my sins, as certainly as I am washed outwardly with water whereby commonly the filthiness of the body is taken away. Lord's Day 26, Question 70. What is it to be washed with the blood and spirit of Christ? It is to have the forgiveness of sins from God through grace for the sake of Christ's blood, which he shed for us in his sacrifice on the cross, and also to be renewed by the Holy Spirit, and sanctified to be members of Christ, so that we may more and more die unto sin, and lead holy and blameless lives. Lord's Day 26, Question 71. Where has Christ promised that we are as certainly washed with his blood and spirit as with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism, which says, Go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who believes not shall be damned. This promise is also repeated where Scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Lord's Day 27 Question 72. Is then the outward washing with water itself the washing away of sins? No, for only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sin. Lord's Day 27. Question 73. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks thus with great cause, namely, not only to teach us thereby that just as the filthiness of the body is taken away by water, so our sins are taken away by the blood and spirit of Christ, but much more, that by this divine pledge and token he may assure us that we are as really washed from our sins spiritually as our bodies are washed with water. Lord's Day 27, Question 74. Are infants also to be baptized? Yes, for they, as well as their parents, belong to the covenant and people of God, and, through the blood of Christ, both redemption from sin and the Holy Spirit, who works faith, are promised to them, no less than to their parents. They are also, by baptism, as a sign of the covenant, to be ingrafted into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers, as was done in the Old Testament by circumcision, in place of which, in the New Testament, baptism is appointed. Lord's Day 28, Question 75. How is it signified and sealed to you in the Holy Supper that you partake of the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross? and all his benefits. Thus, that Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and to drink of this cup in remembrance of him, and has joined therewith these promises. First, that his body was offered and broken on the cross for me, and his blood shed for me, as certainly as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me, and the cup communicated to me, and further, that with his crucified body and shed blood, he himself 
feeds and nourishes my soul to everlasting life, as certainly as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, which are given me as certain tokens of the body and blood of Christ. Lord's Day 28, Question 76. What does it mean to eat the crucified body and drink the shed blood of Christ? It means not only to embrace with a believing heart all the sufferings and death of Christ, and thereby to obtain the forgiveness of sins and life eternal, but moreover also to be so united more and more to His sacred body by the Holy Spirit who dwells both in Christ and in us, that, although He is in heaven and we on earth, we are nevertheless flesh of His flesh and bone of His bone, and live and are governed forever by one Spirit as members of the same body are governed by one soul. Lord's Day 28, Question 77. Where has Christ promised that he will thus feed and nourish believers with his body and blood as certainly as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup? In the institution of the supper, which says, The Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death until he comes. And this promise is also repeated by the Apostle Paul, where he says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not a communion of the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we, being many, are one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Lord's Day 29, Question 78. Do then the bread and wine become the real body and blood of Christ? No, but as the water in baptism is not changed into the blood of Christ, nor becomes the washing away of sins itself, being only the divine token and assurance thereof, so also in the Lord's Supper the sacred bread does not become the body of Christ itself, though, agreeably to the nature and usage of sacraments, it is called the body of Christ. Lord's Day 29, Question 79. Why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood, or the New Testament in his blood, and the Apostle Paul the communion of the body and blood of Christ? Christ speaks thus with great cause, namely, not only to teach us thereby that, like as the bread and wine sustain this temporal life, so also his crucified body and shed blood are the true meat and drink of our souls unto life eternal, but much more by this visible sign and pledge to assure us that we are as really partakers of his true body and blood by the working of the Holy Spirit as we receive by the mouth of the body these holy tokens in remembrance of him, and that all his sufferings and obedience are as certainly our own as if we ourselves had suffered and done all in our own person. Lord's Day 30, Question 80. What difference is there between the Lord's Supper and the Pope's Mass? The Lord's Supper testifies to us that we have full forgiveness of all our sins by the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which He Himself once accomplished on the cross, and that by the Holy Spirit we are engrafted into Christ, who with His true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father and is there to be worshipped. But the Mass teaches that the living and the dead do not have forgiveness of sins through the sufferings of Christ unless Christ is still daily offered for them by the priests and that Christ is bodily under the form of bread and wine and is therefore to be worshipped in them. And thus the Mass at bottom is nothing else than a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and an accursed idolatry. Lord's Day 30, Question 81. Who are to come to the table of the Lord? 
those who are displeased with themselves for their sins, yet trust that these are forgiven them and that their remaining infirmity is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and to amend their life. But the impenitent eat and drink judgment to themselves. Lord's Day 30, Question 82. Are they then also to be admitted to the supper who show themselves by their confession and life to be unbelieving and ungodly? No, for thereby the covenant of God is profaned and his wrath provoked against the whole congregation. Wherefore, the Christian church is bound, according to the order of Christ and his apostles, to exclude such persons by the office of the keys until they amend their life. Lord's Day 31. Question 83. What is the office of the keys? The preaching of the Holy Gospel and Christian discipline. By these two, the kingdom of heaven is opened to believers and shut against unbelievers. Lord's Day 31. Question 84. How is the kingdom of God opened and shut by the preaching of the Holy Gospel? In this way, that according to the command of Christ, it is proclaimed and openly witnessed to believers, one and all, that as often as they accept with true faith the promise of the gospel, all their sins are really forgiven them of God for the sake of Christ's merits. And, on the contrary, to all unbelievers and hypocrites, that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation abide on them so long as they are not converted. According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge men both in this life and in that which is to come. Lord's Day 31, Question 85 How is the kingdom of heaven shut and opened by Christian discipline in this way? That according to the command of Christ, if any under Christian name show themselves unsound either in doctrine or in life, after several brotherly admonitions, do not turn from their errors or evil ways, they are complained of to the church or to its proper officers, and if they neglect to hear them also, are by them denied the holy sacraments, and thereby excluded from the Christian communion." and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. And if they promise and show real amendment, they are again received as members of Christ and his church. Lord's Day 32, Question 86 Since then we are redeemed from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of ours, why should we do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit, after his own image, that, with our whole life, we show ourselves thankful to God for his blessing, and also that he be glorified through us, then also that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by the fruits thereof, and by our godly walk win also others to Christ. Lord's Day 32, Question 87 Can they, then, not be saved, who do not turn to God from their unthankful and impenitent life? By no means, for, as the Scripture says, no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, covetous man, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Lord's Day 33, Question 88 In how many things does true repentance or conversion consist? In two things, the dying of the old man and the quickening of the new. Lord's Day 33, Question 89. What is the dying of the old man? Heartfelt sorrow for sin, causing us to hate and turn from it always more and more. Lord's Day 33, Question 90. What is the quickening of the new man? Heartfelt joy in God, through Christ, causing us to take delight in living according to the will of God in all good works. Lord's Day 33, Question 91. What are good works? 
those only which proceed from true faith and are done according to the law of God unto his glory, and not such as rest on our own opinion or the commandments of men. Lord's Day 34, Question 92. What is the law of God? God spoke all these words. The first commandment, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents, to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. The third commandment. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. The fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son, or your daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. The fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. The sixth commandment, you shall not murder. The seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. The eighth commandment, you shall not steal. The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The tenth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or male, or female servant, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Lord's Day 34, Question 93. How are these commandments divided? Into two tables, the first of which teaches in four commandments what duties we owe to God. The second, in six, what duties we owe to our neighbor. Lord's Day 34, Question 94. What does God require in the first commandment? That, on peril of my soul's salvation, I avoid and flee all idolatry, sorcery, enchantments, invocation of saints or other creatures, and that I rightly acknowledge the only true God, trust in Him alone with all humility and patience, expect all good from him only, and love, fear, and honor him with my whole heart, so as rather to renounce all creatures than to do the least thing against his will. Lord's Day 34, Question 95. What is idolatry? Idolatry is to conceive or to have something else on which to place our trust instead of or beside the one true God who has revealed himself in his word. Lord's Day 35, Question 96. What does God require in the second commandment? That we in no way make any image of God, nor worship him in any other way than he has commanded us in his word. Lord's Day 35, question 97. May we not make any image at all? God may not and cannot be imaged in any way. As for creatures, though they may indeed be imaged, yet God forbids the making or keeping any likeness of them, either to worship them or to serve God by them. Lord's Day 35, question 98. But may not pictures be tolerated in churches as books for the people? No, for we should not be wiser than God, who will not have his people taught by mute idols, but by the lively preaching of his word. Lord's Day 36, Question 99. What is required in the third commandment? that we must not, by cursing, or by false swearing, nor yet by unnecessary oaths, 
profane or abuse the name of God, nor even by our silence and connivance be partakers of these horrible sins in others. And, in summary, that we use the holy name of God in no other way than with fear and reverence, so that he may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us and be glorified in all our words and works. Lord's Day 36, Question 100. Is the profaning of God's name by swearing and cursing so grievous a sin that his wrath is kindled against those also who do not help as much as they can to hinder and forbid the same? Yes, truly, for no sin is greater and more provoking to God than the profaning of his name, whereby he even commanded it to be punished with death. Lord's Day 37, Question 101, But may we swear reverently by the name of God? Yes, when the magistrate requires it, or when it may be otherwise necessary to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to the glory of God and our neighbor's good, for such an oath is grounded in God's word and therefore was rightly used by the saints in the Old and New Testaments. Lord's Day 37, Question 102. May we swear by the saints or by any other creatures? No, for a lawful oath is a calling upon God, in order that he, as the only searcher of hearts, may bear witness to the truth, and punish me if I swear falsely, which honor is due to no creature. Lord's Day 38, Question 103. What does God require in the fourth commandment? In the first place, God wills that the ministry of the gospel and schools be maintained, and that I, especially on the day of rest, diligently attend church to learn the word of God, to use the holy sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian alms. In the second place, that all the days of my life I rest from my evil works, allow the Lord to work in me by His Spirit, and thus begin in this life the everlasting Sabbath. Lord's Day 39, Question 104. What does God require in the fifth commandment? That I show all honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother, and to all in authority over me. Submit myself with due obedience to their good instruction and correction, and also bear patiently with their infirmities, since it is God's will to govern us by their hand. Lord's Day 40, Question 105. What does God require in the Sixth Commandment? That I do not revile, hate, insult, or kill my neighbor, either in thought or word, or gesture, much less, indeed, whether by myself or by another, but lay aside all desire of revenge. Moreover, that I do not harm myself, nor willfully run into any danger. Wherefore, also, to restrain murder, the magistrate is armed with the sword. Lord's Day 40, Question 106. Does this commandment speak only of killing? No, but in forbidding murder, God teaches us that he abhors its very root, namely, envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that in his sight all these are hidden murder. Lord's Day 40, Question 107 But... Is this all that is required, that we do not kill our neighbor? No, for in condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God requires us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, meekness, mercy, and kindness toward him, and to prevent his hurt as much as possible, also to do good even unto our enemies. Lord's Day 41, Question 108. 
what does the seventh commandment teach us? That all unchastity is accursed by God, and that we should therefore loathe it with our whole heart, and live chastely and modestly, whether in holy wedlock or in single life. Lord's Day 41, Question 109. Does God forbid nothing more in this commandment than adultery and such gross sins? Since both our holy body and soul are temples of the Holy Spirit, it is His will that we keep both pure and holy. Therefore, He forbids all unchaste actions, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever may entice thereto. Lord's Day 42, Question 110. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only such theft and robbery as are punished by the magistrate, but God views as theft also all wicked tricks and devices whereby we seek to get our neighbor's goods, whether by force or by deceit, such as unjust weights, measures, goods, coins, usury, or by any means forbidden by God. Also, covetousness and the misuse and waste of his gifts. Lord's Day 42 Question 111. But what does God require of you in this commandment? That I further my neighbor's good where I can and may deal with him as I would have others deal with me and labor faithfully so that I may be able to help the poor in their need. Lord's Day 43. Question 112. What does the ninth commandment require? that I bear false witness against no one, rest no one's words, be no backbiter or slanderer, join in condemning no one unheard or rashly, but on pain of God's heavy wrath, I avoid all lying and deceit as the very works of the devil, and in matters of judgment and justice, and in all other affairs, I love, speak honestly, and confess the truth, also, insofar as I can, defend and promote my neighbor's good name. Lord's Day 44, Question 113. What does the Tenth Commandment require? That, not even in the least inclination or thought against any commandment of God, ever enter our heart, but that, With our whole heart, we continually hate all sin and take pleasure in all righteousness. Lord's Day 44, Question 114. Can those who are converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? No, but even the holiest men, while in this life, have only a small beginning of this obedience. Yet, so that with earnest purpose they begin to live not only according to some, but according to all of the commandments of God. Lord's Day 44, Question 115. Why then does God so strictly enjoin the Ten Commandments upon us, since in this life no one can keep them? First, that as long as we live, we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature, and so the more earnestly seek forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Secondly, that, without ceasing, we diligently ask God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, that we be renewed more and more after the image of God, until we attain the goal of perfection after this life. Lord's Day 45, Question 116. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? because it is the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us and because God will give His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who earnestly and without ceasing beg them of Him and render thanks unto Him for them. Lord's Day 45, Question 117 
what belongs to such prayer, which is acceptable to God, and which He will hear. First, that with our whole heart we call only upon the one true God, who has revealed Himself to us in His Word, for all that He has commanded us to ask of Him. Secondly, that we thoroughly know our need and misery, so as to humble ourselves in the presence of His divine majesty. Thirdly, that we be firmly assured that, notwithstanding our unworthiness, He will, for the sake of Christ our Lord, certainly hear our prayer, as He has promised us in His Word. Lord's Day 45, Question 118. What has God commanded us to ask Him? All things necessary for soul and body, which Christ our Lord comprised in the prayer which He Himself taught us. Lord's Day 45, Question 119. What is the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Lord's Day 46, Question 120. Why did Christ command us to address God thus, our Father? To awaken in us, the very beginning of our prayer, that childlike reverence for and trust in God, which are to be the ground of our prayer, namely, that God has become our Father through Christ, and will much less deny us what we ask of Him in faith than our parents refuse us earthly things. Lord's Day 46, Question 121. Why is it added, in heaven, that we may have no earthly thought of the heavenly majesty of God, and, from His almighty power, expect all things necessary for body and soul? Lord's Day 47, Question 122. What is the first petition? Hallowed be your name. That is, grant us first rightly to know you, and to hallow, magnify, and praise you in all your works, in which your power, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth shine forth. And, further, that we so order our whole life, our thoughts, words, and deeds, that your name may not be blasphemed, but honored and praised on our account. Lord's Day 48 Question 123. What is the second petition? Your kingdom come. That is, so govern us by your word and spirit that we submit ourselves to you always more and more. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the works of the devil, every power that exalts itself against you, and all wicked devices formed against your holy word until the fullness of your kingdom come wherein you shall be all in all. Lord's Day 49, Question 124. What is the third petition? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men renounce our own will without gainsaying, obey your will, which alone is good, that so Everyone may fulfill his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. Lord's Day 50, Question 125. What is the fourth petition? Give us this day our daily bread. That is, be pleased to provide for all our bodily need, so that we may thereby acknowledge you to be the only fountain of all good, and that... Without your blessing, neither our care and labor nor your gifts can profit us, that we may, therefore, withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it in you alone. Lord's Day 51, Question 126. What is the fifth petition? 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That is, be pleased for the sake of Christ's blood, not to impute to us miserable sinners our manifold transgressions, nor the evil which still always cleaves to us, as we also find this witness of your grace in us, that it is our full purpose heartily to forgive our neighbor. Lord's Day 52, Question 127. What is the sixth petition? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is, since we are so weak in ourselves that we cannot stand a moment, and, besides our deadly enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, assail us without ceasing, be pleased to preserve and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may make firm stand against them, and not be overcome in this spiritual warfare until finally complete victory is ours. Lord's Day 52, question 128. How do you close this prayer? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is, all this we ask of you, because as our King, having power over all things, you are willing and able to give us all good and that thereby, not we, but your holy name, may be glorified forever. Lord's Day 52, question 129. What is the meaning of the word Amen? Amen means, so shall it truly and surely be, for my prayer is much more certainly heard of God than I feel in my heart that I desire things of him. Thanks for listening to this recording of the Heidelberg Catechism brought to you by the Heidelberg Reformation Association. Copyright Heidelberg Reformation Association. All rights reserved.